Hello and welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dolphus, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 309 of the podcast. It's Jessica, and I'm so glad you're here. As summer began for you guys where you are, my kids are in full summer mode, and we're really enjoying it. We're trying to be flexible and fun and just keep everyone alive, right? <laughs> I'm so excited to introduce my guest to you today. It's Dr. Heather McGuire. Yes, she is Dr. Heather McGuire because she has a doctorate in educational psychology, which is so cool. And she's also a credentialed school psychologist, and she has over 10 years of experience working with parents and educators. She started something called Prism Behavior, and we're going to talk about that today, what that is. But she helps parents who are struggling with their child's behavior, and I love her pragmatic approach evidence-based approach to parenting and it really helps and we talk a lot about this the front-loading aspect of parenting and there's so much preparatory work that goes into helping your children to behave and to behave the way you want them to while it's never completely given that your child will respond the way that you want them to there's always ways that we can help support them and set them up for success and that's what we're going to talk about today If you're interested in learning more about prison behavior, I'm going to link everything at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, and you can pick up a copy of her ebook over there. So let's get to it with Heather McGuire. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Heather McGuire today. Hi, Heather. Hi. Thanks for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. I always love seeing the podcaster set up on the other side of the Skype call. I know you have a good mic. This is good. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's true. You never have to. If you're interviewing someone who has a podcast, you're never like, oh, you know, do you have a mic and that sort of thing, right? I always say, like, wear headphones or earbuds. That helps a little. But, I mean, I interview everyday moms for the most part who are not podcasters, who do not have large yeah. platforms and aren't journalists. And and so you do get some variance in the sound quality. Yeah, but yeah. literally, I've never had anybody complain. I mean, I think my listeners just appreciate yeah the variety and just hearing from regular moms. And as much as you've accomplished in your life, you too are a regular mom, right? Just like me. I am 100%. And in fact, in the quarantine, so much so that who knows, my kids might bust through the door while we have our conversation. Hopefully not. They're supposed to be doing their schoolwork and my husband's working from home and he's on duty, but we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I totally understand. Well, I'm so excited to hear more about your background and Um, what you now have gone on to teach people and everything about parenting. You have a fascinating background. So for Heather, for people that don't know you yet, will you give a little background on yourself and your family? Yeah, perfect. Well, first of all, I have two kids. Um, So my daughter, Addison, is six, and she's just finishing two more weeks of the first grade. And then um, my son is in third grade. He's nine. And um, we live in Southern California. I've been married to my husband, Nate, uh, for it'll be 15 years this summer. Uh, And in fact, we were supposed to go on this big, like, 15-year wedding anniversary trip to France. But now we're joking around that 16 is the 
new 15, so that's pushed off a bit. But um, but yeah, we we got married. We were high or at college sweethearts, and so we got married right out of college, pretty quick actually. And and then professionally, um, well, full time, I'm a professor. So I teach school psychology, school counseling, and then classes all about behavior, which is kind of where my love of behavior lies. And so about a year ago, I started the Prism Parenting Podcast. And um, yeah, so basically my goal is to help everyday parents with some parenting challenges, you know, so from like defiance to sleep issues to things like that. That's kind of what I focus on. And um, I, so yeah, I have a podcast and um, I have a parenting course, a book, things like that. So I just like to, you know, help parents with everyday, everyday parenting issues. Okay, that sounds very helpful right now because all of our kids are home yeah. all of the time. And even just yesterday, all of the time. so I have three boys, 10, 8, and 4. Mm-hmm. And my 10-year-old yesterday was having some type of meltdown and it seemed to, my husband and I, like it was over something so inconsequential. And my husband said to me after, what is going on? Like, why is he flipping out over that? And I said, it's not about that. It's about what's going on. He's being triggered and he's so sensitive on the surface right now. Any little trigger is going to set him off in a way that he wouldn't normally just because he's depressed that he's not seeing his friends. He's feeling that instability from being quarantined and being taken out of his normal routines. And he's just missing regular life. And so we are seeing behaviors kind of escalate more in our house just because the sensitivity is heightened and the vulnerability is heightened, I think. Are you seeing that in your own home or or with your clients? Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that, you know, as it, so I'm a, what's called a board certified behavior analyst, sounds fancy, BCBA. Um, but really what we do as behavior analysts is we think a lot about like the root cause of behavior, why it's happening. And sometimes it's simple, right? Something like, you know, I want something or I want to get out of something I don't want to do, but I do think in these times, things can be a little bit more complex and, you know, like similar to you the other day, um, my son was in his room and he was looking depressed as well. And I'm like, you know, what's wrong? He's nine. And I'm like, you know, what's, what's wrong? And he's like, you know, my, the only toys I really have are Legos. And I was like, you know, and by the way, he has Legos and Xbox and lots of fun things, right? And so, but I like kind of diving a little bit deeper. I think he's just similar. Like, what do I, what does life look like now? What do I do? How do I, you know, exist in this current context? And um, so I think that, yeah, with the, with the current state of things, I think things are a little bit more complicated and you can see that emotion, that lack of emotional regulation, you know, where like, everything is the end of the world, I think that that's going to be more common in the present situation for sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this and I'm so glad we're on the same page. And I think we're going to cover some scenarios um, of some behaviors that that you see a lot come up and and I'm going to give some examples from my own family as well. And I just really hope it can help people to A, feel not so alone. Like everyone is dealing with these these heightened emotions and that struggle with emotional regulation, like you said, and just, I mean, just normal parenting in general, like we all struggle and every child is different. And so, you know, as you go through different seasons, new things pop up and you can be doing a great job as a mom and still have these issues, right? 
Yeah, no, I think that it's a lot of times as a parent and then especially kind of just as a mother, especially we internalize, you know, how our kids are acting. It's like, oh, it's all my fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, even though, you know, as parents, you know, obviously we do have a lot of control over our kids lives, probably more than they want us to have. Right. Um, At the same time, like, you know, blaming ourselves is not helpful. And um, but I, I think that it is really easy to do that. I do it myself all the time. It's funny because as you know, in in my profession, I, I, a lot of times I feel like I know all the right things to do. Sometimes I don't do them myself. And then it's like that mom guilt that you're talking about. It's definitely a real thing. Well, and that's the thing I was going to ask you, like you are so well versed in, in the research and the practices and what you should be doing, like by the textbook, right. Of how to you know, mitigate certain behaviors and de-escalate and things like that. Like, I think a lot of us know the principles and it's even easy to communicate that to another mom that's struggling. Okay, well, have you tried this? Have you done this? I would do this and I would do it consistently. And then you try and do it in your own home and A, you have the problem of doing it the right way, but then also expecting your child to then behave a certain way. And they have free will and they're going to behave how they're going to behave and have, you know, you can't control that outcome. And then the second thing is that consistency component, right? You try it one time and you say, well, that didn't work. Or you think, oh, well, I've been doing it forever, but it just feels like you've been trying forever, but you really haven't been that consistent or it hasn't been that long. How do you, how, how do you merge like, knowing the textbook answers and then also just practically implementing it in in your home how did that shift as you became a mom yeah, actually, I have a funny story that this made me think of. So last summer, um, last summer was quite different from this summer, right? Uh, so uh, there were summer camps last summer, right? Um, and so I, I we enrolled our um, kids in uh, a summer camp. And I was working on a project all summer. And so we had our kids in a summer camp three days a week. And I was like, oh, this summer camp is so close. It won't be that bad. You know, it's like a you know 15 or 20 minute drive maybe, except I didn't take into account traffic for some reason. (laughs) So then I found myself, I didn't think about that. I enrolled, I paid for the summer camp. And then I found myself like every day or three days a week, uh, you know, in the car with both of my kids for at least, I think it was like a half hour to 45 minutes each way. And I was like, what was I thinking? So anyways, I found myself in this situation. And then instead of taking our SUV, um, so since I have two kids, uh, one of my parenting strategies sometimes is to put one child in one row and the other (laughs) child in the other row so that they can't like physically touch each other but then I was like oh traffic and gas and all that so instead I took our car um, that had better uh, gas mileage and what I found and this this is embarrassing to admit but it was like for a few weeks this is how our car rides would go we get into the car my kids started to argue and fight and I, I would start to give out like warnings like you know stop arguing be you know be a little bit quieter we're all in the same car together and then I was like okay you stay on your side you stay on your side and then the, the way that the the trip would end as we got closer and closer to camp was by me yelling Mm -hmm. and me saying you know what we're not talking for the rest of the trip be quiet you know (laughs) and it's like all the things that you're not supposed to do and so I remember finally like you know two or three weeks in I just looked at I I was just feeling so defeated and I like looked at myself in the mirror like as the as I was like they dropped them off and I was on my way home and I'm like 
Heather, what are you doing? Like, what would you tell a mom in a similar situation, right? And so, um, and actually, that's kind of what I wanted to, to talk to your audience about a little bit today is like this proactive parenting approach where we put like most of our effort into the proactive versus like, you know, what I was living in in that moment was like the reactive, right? And so what I did is I like went home and I thought about it. Okay, like, why is this behavior happening between my kids? It's because they're bored, right? And so what I did is like came up up with a few fun activities for them to do in the car that they, you know, so, you know, trying to think of things that they typically normally wouldn't have access to, to make it, you know, to increase like the, the level of engagement and whatnot. And I, and I let them have those activities just in the car and just by basically solving their boredom, they stopped fighting. I stopped yelling, that sort of thing. But it really wasn't until like I shifted to that from that like reactive to that proactive, but like kind of circling all the way around. I'm not immune. And a lot of times the, the, the strategies I help parents with, it's like not rocket science. It's not stuff that you don't quite, you know, you've never heard of. It's just, you know, making the decision to actually do some of those things, if that makes sense. Okay, thank you for sharing that. That makes me feel so much better that <laughs> just because you know better doesn't just solve all your problems. And I like to think of parenting as very simple, but definitely not easy, right? Like the principles exactly. are very simple and straightforward and can be yeah. generalized in most situations. It is certainly not easy. It is not easy to keep patient. It is not easy to not yell. It is not easy to, you know, follow through. It's not easy to wait your kid out when they're being stubborn, right? It's, it is so hard. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Heather, but I wanted to thank our show sponsor today, and that is Little Spoon. You've heard me talk about Little Spoon before, but it is the perfect solution if you're wanting to make baby food for your kids and you feel like you don't have the time or capacity to do so. And even better, it's delivered right to your doorstep. Little Spoon started when the founders realized that most grocery store baby food brands were older than your baby, thanks to heavy processing and preservatives that keeps baby food on the shelf. So that's disgusting. And we know how nutrition is so important for your baby's development. And 65% of the nutrients babies consume in their first two years go straight to your baby's growing brain, bones, muscles, eyesight, digestion, you name it. And so what you feed your baby, it matters so much. Little Spoon is always made in small batches, so you're basically getting super high quality homemade food and using over 100 USDA certified organic ingredients in a rotating menu of flavors and textures. I was so impressed with the box that was delivered to my door, and since I don't have a baby, I gave it to my neighbor, and she was thrilled to have the Little Spoon to try out, and they even come with their own Little Spoon in each package. <laughs> Best part, everything ships directly to your door and doesn't break the bank, making it $3 or less per meal. No more worrying about what's in your baby's food. Let Little Spoon take one thing off your very big parenting to-do list and cover mealtime with their fresh organic blends. Get $15 off your first three orders at littlespoon.com EEP. That's littlespoon.com EEP for $15 off your first three orders. Thank you to Little Spoon for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to it with Heather. When you can really understand the root of these issues, like what we're talking about, and when you can create the space and the opportunity to reflect and say, what yeah. is going on? Especially when you're seeing the same problem again and again, it's worth that introspection of what led up to their bickering in the car. You know, like I want to keep them in the same row. I'm not just going to put them in separate rows to give them that out. We're going to work through this. What tools do they need? What conversations do we need to have? How are they feeling? Whatever. 
and then put a plan in place. That is so huge. And it's kind of like training your kids on chores. I've given up on a lot of chore systems because I'm like, well, I just do it better and faster. And so like you guys just stay out of my way and I'm going to clean. But that is not the goal. I need to take the time to train them on how to clean up their room. I can't just say clean your room. I need to train them on what I expect. I can't expect them to read my mind. It's unrealistic. And I think a lot of us do this. Yeah. So a lot of times all the things that will work in the end takes, they do take more energy in, as you approach the situation. And then later, like it's a good example with chores. I've had, found that with my kids too, because in the moment when I've been training them, you know, like during this quarantine, right before quarantine, pre-quarantine, we had a house cleaner. Now, you know, we are our house cleaners, which I mean, that's totally fine. It was a perfect opportunity for my for me to teach my kids. I mean, I don't want to clean my kid's bathroom. I don't want to go in my kid's bathroom. I have three boys. You You think I want to do that? No, I don't. (laughs) There's what is it really quick with kids and toothpaste, by the way, because it's like their bathroom is toothpaste. And why do they make kids toothpaste blue? Like it's just blue toothpaste everywhere. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to teach my kids how to clean their bathroom. And for sure, like the first few times, first of all, um, in, um, behavioral terms we talk about quote-unquote shaping behavior which means like you know the first time they cleaned their bathroom was it very clean not that clean right but they cleaned it better than it was before they cleaned it right and so they made some progress so I'm going to like praise their effort and then I'm going to kind of shape that behavior and increase my expectations for next time and at this point here we are two months into quarantine you know my kids can clean their bathroom no problem but initially it does take that you know a little bit more of that like time commitment and again that proactive approach of like okay I'm going to put in the effort now to see the benefit later if you will yeah I I love that idea of shaping behavior I've never really heard about it in that term and so I'm curious how you convey that in a way that doesn't seem critical because sometimes I will give what I think is constructive criticism and then it'll be like well why don't you just do it mom you know and they'll kind of shut down and become resentful because they did take some pride in their work So how do you kind of approach that? Yeah. So I think it kind of, um, I think it kind of depends when I think about like chores specifically I've had, I mean, first of all, that can happen. I think, you know, we all can have delicate feelings. And so, and it's hard when kids are learning something new, you might see that and that's okay. And there might be some back and forth, you know, and that maybe can open conversation about how we're not perfect, for example, and we can learn through challenges. But I think specifically with chores, I would give the feedback next time. Okay. 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 So because you're, you know, for, you know, because you can kind of go back and remind them like, oh, you did such a great job last time. One of the things that I noticed was that, you know, that the mirror, you know, so you can kind of give that feedback, but not right after. So, you know, the first time, like when they did it, you praise them, you find the things that they did right, you know, like, oh, you did such a great job on the counter right here. Good job. High five, you know. And then the next time you're like, then you can provide, you know, going in some of that constructive feedback. Um, and then I think too, one of the the biggest things that I talk about, and actually for your listeners, I have a free guide that they can download, um, is actually using a, like a motivation system. So for those things, like 
I think chores is a perfect example because, you know, kids, they don't want to do chores. I mean, I don't want to do chores, no. right? None of us want to, right? So for those behaviors that, um, and those things that kids like really don't want to do and maybe have that emotional outburst response to, those are the types of things where we can use a motivational system where, um, for like, like say like uh, kids who are in elementary school, what I recommend oftentimes is using like a quarter system, right? Like with a piggy bank where, you know, after they do their chores, they can, you know, put some quarters in a piggy bank. And then after a specific period of time, they can turn that in, um, for things that they can buy. I usually say the, the reason why I like to use real money and you can use like stars or whatever you want to use. But with kids in elementary, I like to use money because you can teach them to like spend some, save some, give some. Right. And I think that, you know, they start to realize, first of all, how much things actually cost, which I think has a huge benefit. You know, they're like, oh, I want to buy this video game. I'm like, do you know the video game costs $40? You know? Mm -hmm. And so for some of those, and you know, some people can be like, oh, chores, you're paying your kids to do chores. Um, but I mean, the, the reality is that, you know, I think in the long term, all of us, when we're doing things, we're, we are doing things for, you know, like later on when we work, we're doing things for money and things like that. So I, I, I typically don't have like a huge problem with that. Um, but I think that, you know, and then, okay, so that's elementary kids, right? Mm -hmm. For younger kids, you can use those star charts or even just kind of like the order of events. So, for example, you know, first clean your room, then watch a show. That's a motivation system. It's just very simple, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think with some of those things that are more challenging, kind of, you know, giving something on the flip side, giving some sort of motivator, I strongly encourage that. Yeah, I really, really like that. And I like how you said kids need to understand the value of a dollar and right now we're really struggling with my kids wanting to buy like video game like accessories and components but like it's fake stuff and I cannot yes. wrap my mind oh. around them buying fake clothes for their fake characters I can't I I just I can't but then at is the it, same is time it Roblox? is it Roblox well, it's Roblox and it's Fortnite into, like, Fortnite yeah. is now gone as of last yeah. night but <laughs> um yeah Roblox and it's just to me, it's a waste of money. And I have to understand, like, I waste my time and I waste my money in ways that they wouldn't understand too. And so I've really, had, especially during the quarantine, had to shift when I get frustrated with whatever activity they're choosing where it's like, come on, guys, like, do something else. Go outside. But, like, nobody's ordering me around of how to spend my time. And so, yes, it's our job as parents to guide them and shape kind of what a productive, happy, healthy day looks like. And then at the same time, they're going to waste money sometimes. And they're going to waste their time sometimes. And so am I. And so I like your idea of setting aside some money very intentionally in a way that feels safe and healthy and practical. And then are you advising that they can just do what they want with that other money and I shouldn't harp on that? Yeah. So, so, so that's a good point. Cause actually it's funny you bring that up. I've really struggled. Like my son is like wanting, I think on Roblox, you have to give money to change your username or oh I don't gosh. know. So I think it's okay to use those opportunities to kind of walk them through that. Yeah. But I do think like if our kids um, want certain things, I think as parents, we have to like realize that that's what motivates them. So, so long as it's not 
harmful to yeah. them. We want to capitalize on that because a lot of times as parents, we try to, one of the easiest ways, there's two easy ways to kill a motivation system. Okay. One way, which I think is the most common way is that people turn their motivation or their reward system into a punishment system. So it's like, instead of being like, you can earn this, it's like, okay, you've earned this and now I'm mad at you. So now I'm taking it away. And then all of a sudden I've killed my, you know, so it's like, if I'm like, you were naughty, I'm taking your quarter. So I always recommend like, don't do that. It's not that you don't discipline your kids, but just don't muddy the waters in terms of, you know, your motivation system is your reward motivation system, and then find a different way, you know, in terms of like discipline. So I think that's the easiest way to kill a, a reward system. But I think the second is to try to get your kids to want to work for things that you want them to work for rather than that they want to work for. Yeah. How do I do that? That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, there's things that we're like, don't you want to turn your money in for this great book to read? And they're like, no, I want to buy clothes for my thing. Right. And so I think that, you know, splurging on little things is not something that, you know, I don't think we should be that concerned about, especially, you know, I think it's more about what we're spending the majority of our time doing, right? So that's the, that's at least, you know, different people have different thoughts about video games. And my thought isn't that, like, I'm going to say you can't play video games. My thought is like, okay, you can spend X amount of time playing video games, and then I want to develop other things so that there, you know, you have a lot of other fun things that you can be doing, and it's not just video games. That's where I see, like, it becomes more of an issue with screens and video games and whatever, Yeah, if that makes sense. And really... Yeah, we were talking a lot about screen time last night, and and we were saying, like, it's not the screen time that's the issue. It's the behavior that comes when you're getting off screens. It's the stress you feel when you're not getting in the item shop in time by 5 p.m. when the skins are going to change. Like, it's ruining your whole day. Like, do you like the way that feels? And they're like, well, no, but I need to get on. Like, it is an addict mentality. And these games are so smart to market to these kids oh, that are so vulnerable and susceptible to this. 100%. Actually, it's interesting. So games like Fortnite, they actually use behavioral psychology to, um, like, the similar psychology as, like, a, um, a slot machine yeah. in terms of, like, the addictive power of a slot machine. So it's being mindful of that. Actually, before quarantine, we said, um, you know, we let our kids have uh, screens during the week, but I didn't allow video games except for the weekend because I found that to be a specific trigger. So, I mean, you know, it's, it, it ebbs and flows in our house. There's not like, you know, sometimes, um, you know, during the school year we've said, okay, no screens Monday through Thursday, some, you know, so it's, it's just kind of changed depending. Um, but I think like, well, okay, one of the things that's been really successful in, with, um, with my kids is that they both have watches. And so rather than me telling them to get off the screens, we set a certain time period that they're allowed to be on it, but I make them set a timer on their own watch because then it's like them, it's, they're taking the responsibility, they're setting the timer, and then the timer is dictating when it's time to get off. It's not me. Right. And so then it creates that it gives them back some of that power and their buy in. And then it, it you know, it, it minimizes that, you know, control aspect and them, you know, getting mad at me that I'm telling them to get off. Yes. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. So we're training my dog, my puppy right now, and he has yeah. a, a shock collar and we can buzz yeah. him. And it's a very low, it's very safe. It's a very low yeah, level yeah. for the most part, but it gets his attention. And it's like, but I can buzz him remotely. And so sometimes he knows 
I'm buzzing him because I'm giving him the command. But other times if he's yeah. digging in the backyard, I can just buzz him as like a reminder, like, nope. And yeah. he thinks it's the caller telling him no, not me telling him yeah. no. And so it's the same yeah. kind of principle. It's like, oh, the watch is yeah. telling me I'm done, not mom. And they can't argue with the watch. They can't, they're not going to exactly. negotiate. 100%. And that's another thing with screens. One of the things I found to be helpful is that I give a designated amount of time, but then I let my kids choose when. Okay. So like, for example, you know, there's chores or things they have to do beforehand and then they can choose when they use their screen time, you know, but they have like, a, you know, a banked amount of screen time and then they can use their watch. So I'm giving, first of all, I'm kind of instilling those independent skills and, you know, that I want to instill, you know, in that um, responsibility, uh, but also. So I'm like minimizing the conflict. I think with younger kids who don't, you know, like let's say you, the, some of your listeners, let's say they have toddlers, you can sim use something similar um, where you can either use a digital timer, you know, just the little ones or um, there's uh, there's basically visual timers you can mm -hmm. buy on Amazon or even like the iPad um, timer now has like this little thing that kind of visually shows you um, how much time they have left. But even doing something as simple as priming them, it's called. So yes. that the, the behavioral term is priming is like in five minutes, this is what we're going to do. And so it's like giving them some predictability because think about it. If you're a kid, your whole life pretty much, especially toddler, is just your parents telling you what to do. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, just by telling them, you know, whether you're telling them or you have some sort of schedule or whatever it's giving them that information so they have time to digest it then they're less likely to let's say have an outburst when it's time to leave the park or time to get off the show or time to go to bed that sort of thing well yeah would you as an adult like things being sprung on you and like okay let's go we're and you're in the middle of something like that really ignites something in us right and so toddlers feel the same exact way they just don't have the ability yeah. to either communicate it, you know, with some regulation or whatever, but like, we certainly don't want to be told what to do on a second's notice, right? We need a little prep time. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of with that is, um, I always encourage parents to give a lot of choices. So a lot of times in the moment, it's so much easier, just like it's easier for us to do the chore. <laughs> it's easier for us to make the decisions because I'm busy, I have an agenda, I have things to do. But if you are intentional about giving your kids choices, it gives them some of that power back. And so I talk a lot about like preventing defiant behavior by giving choices, you're going to prevent a lot of that defiant behavior from happening in the first place. And it has to be age appropriate. Like you don't want to give your two year old choices between five cereals. They're just going to like, that's, that, that's overwhelming, you know? So for younger kids, it's like giving them choice between one or two cereals, you know? And then as, as kids get older, they can make a lot of other choices, but being intentional about giving choices throughout the day will again, kind of give kids back. Um, and especially like toddlers back some of that power, if you will. And then you'll see a lot less of those, like that explosive, um, you know, defiant tantrum behavior. Parents can be so smart about this as they orchestrate what choices they give their kids and the options that they give. Cause you can still give them three options that you are perfectly fine with and you don't care about it all, but they don't know yes. that, right? And so they feel like they have absolutely won by choosing what happens next or what outfit they wear or what cereal they have. But if you don't want them to eat Fruit Loops and you're saying, okay, what do you want? Cheerios or a uh, Special K? You're okay with both of those. So so be it's smart. It's a win-win for you, right? It totally is. Yeah, So what, but what if they say none of those? 
Right. And so, so what I typically say is, so first of all, you want to give choices proactively. So you have to be careful. One thing that we fall into as parents is like we say something and then our kids exhibit inappropriate behavior and then we give them choices. We don't want to do that. Okay. okay? Okay. We want to give them choices beforehand. But if then if they afterwards have a meltdown, then they lose the ability to have a choice. Then we make the choice. Like this is what we're having, you know? And so that's one thing. Okay. But as our kids are getting older, one of the things um, I like to talk about is something called respectful negotiation skills. Okay. So um, we don't want to raise like kids who are robots. We don't want them to just comply with, you know, in the moment for sure, it feels nice for kids to say, you know, to have like that yes ma'am mentality uh, because it just makes our day run smoother. But the reality is we want to raise like leaders. We don't want kids who just go with the flow, right? And so, so we have to keep that in mind. So one of the things that, you know, I've tried to teach my kids is that if I tell them something, like, okay, like let's say my son Landon, it's like he's reading before bedtime or whatever. And I'm like, okay, it's time to go to bed. And, you know, so if he was just like, you know, expected to just listen, like, yes, okay. But like, what if he had like a page left in a book he'd been like reading for a week? Right. What I want him to do instead and what I've taught him to do is to respectfully ask a question of like, you know, hey, mom, is it okay if I finish the last page of my book before I go to bed? I'm almost done with my book. So it's not, you know, again, I think in the moment it's just like we want our kids to listen. But, you know, teaching them that life skill of that negotiation, not in a way that's disrespectful, but like, I want him to tell me that I, you know, I don't want him to like, not tell me that, that, you know, and just have to read it tomorrow. It's usually not a big deal. So, you know, I want him to respectfully ask that question, but then I also want, sometimes I'm still going to have to say no, you know, like, sorry, it's an hour past your bedtime. No, you cannot read that page, you know? And so then what his job is, is to accept, you know, so he can, ask the question, but then he has to accept the answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that he gets the ability to negotiate because he's been defiant. It's like he gets the ability to negotiate because he's been respectful, if that makes sense. It absolutely does make sense. So when are you teaching him these things? Not in the moment, right? So I think that's, again, kind of like the proactive versus the reactive side of things. It's like, okay, sometimes when I'm spurred on to teach these things is when like something goes wrong, to be honest. And I'm like, okay, that didn't go so well. So tomorrow when things have calmed down, I want to talk through what happened and give an alternative and kind of teach that skill in the quiet time versus like in the moment when we're, you know, when all of the hormones and the, you know, all of the things are happening like uh, they're they're hot I'm hot like that's not gonna work right we're, we're mad at each other don't try to teach it then it's tempting but it's mm-hmm. not productive but it's that proactive side of like tomorrow we're gonna talk through it and then the following time and then honestly my job as the parent is if at all possible if they're respectful and they're practicing that skill again kind of that shaping thing right if at all possible I'm going to say yes mm-hmm. even if it's kind of slightly inconvenient for me because okay. I want to encourage them to use that skill set next time, right? Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So the reading example is something where he's asking for one more page of something that's positive. But what yeah. if you're asking them to get off, let's just use screen time again, their time went off, they know their time is done, but they're still in the middle of the game, right? And so for us as an adult, like if we're in the middle of something and somebody didn't allow us to – finish 
even if it were something kind of inconsequential seeming, it would be frustrating. And then there's a power struggle starting to brew. So how do you handle that when it's not going well? Yeah. So I think when it's a pattern in that situation, again, you have the maybe, you know, shift to that timer. They can see how many minutes, because maybe if they would have seen five minutes ago, they only had five minutes left, then they would have kind of started to realize that they're not going to finish that. Right. So I think that that can kind of curb it. But when it's been a pattern, I think then probably establishing that, no, I'm sorry, when the, in this circumstance, when the timer goes off, here's what's going to happen. Because otherwise, every single time you're going to get them coming back to you, well, can I have five more minutes? Can I have five more minutes? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's totally, I mean, boundaries are, are totally fine. And I think, you know, in situations that have been like this constant power struggle, I think it's okay to kind of set that more firm boundary. And that probably helps your, your child too, because it gives them they know what to expect like when the timer goes off I have to get off when they end up fighting with us like it doesn't end well and nobody feels happy right and so there's disappointment in getting off when you don't want to get off and then there's disappointment and unhappiness and unrest when you start arguing with your mom about it and then everyone feels like they end this ended badly right And so there's going to be discomfort either way. So helping your child to recognize, sometimes it just ends up being a bummer, but like, which do you pick? Like, I want to end up not in a fight at the end of all this. I want to end up being able to let you on the next day or the next opportunity and know that you're going to get off. And sometimes you're going to be bummed because it's like, oh, darn, I didn't get to finish. But, you know, like you said, if I know I have five minutes and I'm, you know, one minute into that five minute countdown, and I know that the game I'm about to start is 10 minutes, maybe I don't even start that game, right? And so they have, exactly. to, they have to problem solve those things, as do we, you know? And the earlier they can start those, those um, self-monitoring skills, gosh, how much more successful are they going to be as an adult coping with things that don't go their way? Totally. And I think like a, a few things there. So first of all, I think that we need to recognize opportunities to teach our kids. And I think that's a life lesson. There's always going to be situations that are disappointing. It's always going to be tempting to fall into a pattern where a little bit is okay, but a lot is not okay. I mean, think about any sort of addictive behavior, right? And so I think that using those opportunities opportunities. And then if any of your listeners are there and like saying, but we're having like full out, you know, yelling matches every day, what you might consider with like, again, kind of coming back to that reward system or that motivation system is coming up with a reward where if they don't have that explosive behavior, you know, for a day, then they earn some sort of point system or that's when they earn their quarters, right? So maybe chores isn't a problem, but maybe getting off screens is a problem. So, I mean, yeah, you have one option of like, we're going to take a, a, you know, a hiatus from screens. That's a a fine option. Mm -hmm. Um, But also you could say, okay, here's what we're going to do to help you. Um, You know, we're going to set up this reward system where if you get off, without arguing or complaining, um, you know, then this is what you earn. And so it's important, you could potentially incorporate that reward system for them getting off appropriately from screens. Um, And so that can be something that can be very helpful, I think, for families. Yeah, I like that a lot. And and I can anticipate a listener thinking, because this kind of came up in my mind, like I want my kids to want to get off the screen or want to comply, right? <laughs> we all want other people to do what we want them to do. And we shouldn't have to pay them for that. So like if you're using the quarter system for other <clears throat> motivations, I don't necessarily want to pay my kids to just 
do what they said they were going to do. But you could always come up with a different motivation like, okay, as soon as you get off, we're going to like spend some time together kicking the soccer ball outside. Like that's our, that's, that's, yeah. that's our system. You play some screens yeah. and then we go outside and I'm with you for at least 15 minutes and we can do what you want to do. So whatever it is yeah. that's motivating. Mm-hmm. Two, two thoughts. So first of all, you hit on something. It's easier to transition from a highly preferred thing to something that's either similarly or um, like moderately preferred. So yes. it's going to be a lot harder to transition, let's say, from video games to homework or chores. So be mindful of the order. That's going to be a big difference. Heather, that's but what also, I've been doing. That is, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. Like, you, oh my gosh, this is huge. Because usually it's like they do screen time, you know, first thing. And then I'm like, hey, turn off your shows. We're going to do homework that they don't want to do. Flip the order. Flip the order. Oh my gosh. Homework and screens. Oh my. I know I just interrupted in a major way. But like. It is one of those light bulb moments because in our house right now, we have like a schedule of like, here's what you're doing. And then you're doing screens. Because I know that, you know, it's much easier. So first of all, there's a behavioral principle that it sounds like obvious, but again, isn't always obvious is that, you know, it's, if you put the reward or, you know, if you put the highly preferred thing last, they're going to be more likely to do the things that they don't want to do first. So it's like that order, Mm -hmm. right? We've done is we have like kind of that, um, you know, here's, here's the things that you do. Then you have screens. Cause I know that once they're on screens, then it's like, we're off to the races. It's going to be a lot harder for me. You know, they're going to be more likely, you know, they, they might get off screens and go play with their friends afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I was like get off screens and do schoolwork, it would be problematic. But then I always so here's one of the things I want to remind people about who are like, well, but I just want my kids to have that intrinsic value of like listening because they should listen. Um, But, you know, if I here's one reminder I have. So a lot of us used rewards when we potty trained. Uh Okay, Mm -hmm. that's like the most common time in life that most parents use rewards right and here's the thing though how many of our kids still require a treat to go to the bathroom right there's no 12 year olds really walking around who are like give me my gummy bears because or my m&ms because i went potty here's the thing once we start to engage in the right behaviors, we come into contact with lots of different results. So yeah, one of the results might be like that motivation system, uh-huh. but another result will be, you know, praise and that feeling that I listened and the success, okay? And so in time, what the research says is that we can fade that back once we start to establish that as a routine. And then instead of giving motivators, let's say, to get off a of screen time, that behavior has changed and we can flip to, you know, motivating another behavior. Like with my son, mm-hmm. he used to complain and argue about homework. And that was what we used in terms of like what we focused on with his motivation system. Mm-hmm. We gave him quarters for not complaining. We gave him quarters for doing the homework. So no matter what, if he did it, as long as he accomplished it, he got, you know, a certain amount of quarters. And if he did it without arguing, he got more quarters. And then after a period of time, he just learned how to do it. So then I no longer gave him quarters for it. We shifted to something else, right, that he was struggling with. So I guess like parents want to go like, oh, you know, straight to that intrinsic. But the reality is for those really hard to do or what I call like low frequency behaviors, you know, sometimes they need a boost, right? And so just like keep in mind that just because you're rewarding it today doesn't mean you'll have to like, you know, weeks, months, years in the future. 
I love that. I love that. Unless you end up potty training your youngest and your oldest sees that again, they're like, hey, where's that M&M system that we used to do? Like, that's awesome. <laughs> then you might have your 10-year-old right. asking. But um, other than that, yeah, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully you've moved on. I know that we're running short on time, but I did have one more kind of situational thing that I want to address that I know lots of people are facing with increased time of togetherness, and that's sibling <laughs> fighting or picking on each other. How do you address that? How much do you get involved? How much do you stay out of it? I'm guessing you're pretty proactive and teaching of, you know, communication skills and problem solving outside of the behavior. So tell me how you approach that. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So from a proactive side, um, what we did at the beginning of quarantine is both of our kids were doing their homework on the kitchen table, like, or their schoolwork. They had one, had one, um, luckily I, I had these old lap as a professor, I had these old laptops, right. That nobody was using. So the cool thing is they had their own computers. Not everybody has that option, but they were still at the same table and they were fighting and arguing and whatever. So then, and I, I think I heard on one of your podcast episodes, you got your kids desks. I did the same. Uh-huh. So now, right. They, um, so just by putting them in their like own little space to do their schoolwork, it's harder for them to fight. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing kind of like quarantine specific, but honestly, one of the things that we taught our kids early on, we allowed them to practice working them things out together was this. So in the mornings, what the rule is in our house, and I am just not a morning person. Like I, you know, early in the morning, if my kids wake me up, they know I'm going to be pretty cranky. <laughs> and so one of the rules we've set is this. Unless somebody, unless it's an emergency, like somebody's bleeding or the house is burning down, you may not wake me up. Um, and it's not like I sleep in that much, okay? Right, but I just right. don't want to be woken up at like 5.30 in the morning. Yes. And so they are allowed to, if there's something that goes wrong between the two of them, then we can talk about it later, but they can't do it in the moment. But just by putting that time buffer there, they usually work things out. Um, so it's, it's a skill. It's something that they have to practice. And then other things that I do in it, it kind of depends. Like if you have one child that's you've started to see that's maybe starting to become more of like the instigator bully issue, you know, you have to deal with that separately. But if you find more that your kids are equal offenders, I think one of the things that I've found that's successful is like, if they're fighting over something, I'm like, look, so you have two options, either you guys figure it out, or I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. temporarily mm-hmm. you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deal with it yeah. <laughs> I, I can't because how do we police how do we say you're right and you're wrong because they're all gonna have their stories and we don't know who's telling the truth and and whatever right and so um, I think just giving them time to practice working things out um, and this is funny um, one of the one of the ways we've been working this out uh, more uh, like in the quarantine situation too is that we've been going on family hikes because that's like one of the few things that you know we can do right yeah. and so um, but um, we try to have our kids sometimes my husband and I want a moment to like talk to the you know each other and then we'll bring their scooters on the hike that mm-hmm. we're if, we, if it's a paved trail anyways we we set this situation where they can earn a reward but we set what's called a group contingency where they only earn the reward if they both 
do, you know, and so it's so funny because the other day, and sometimes we'll do it individual and sometimes we'll do group, but you know, your, your, your child's mom as a behavior analyst when he is nine and he asks mom, is it a group contingency? No. Oh my gosh. That is the best thing my ever. My husband was making fun of me so bad for that. <laughs> but I love that. So like everyone has to be in it together to contribute to get the reward. Yes, I yes. love that. And I've seen that same thing actually with chores. Um, people who have, you know, a lot of kids tend to, this tends to work better because they can kind of monitor each other because it's like, come on, we get to watch the movie after we're all finished. And then so, so-and-so starts pitching Perfect. in on another person's zone if they're, you know, struggling or being slow or whatever. But then it could also be something where it's like, come on, you know, and they're, they're blaming and everything. But would you intervene in that if, if they're yeah. pressuring each other? Yeah, so that's one of the things that I'm always concerned about with group contingencies. Uh-huh. And so, again, you kind of just look for patterns, okay. right? So if you notice that one sibling is always ruining it, quote unquote, for the others, or one sibling is always like, you know, getting upset at the others, then I would probably shift it to more of that individual okay. contingency where like they're both earning it every, quote unquote, every man for himself, right? But um I feel like a lot of times um, they kind of see it more like a team effort. And as long as we keep it very positive, um, then it doesn't become a problem. But yeah, you do want to look out for those situations and you might have to address it more specifically with one child if you find that one child is having more challenges than the other. Okay. Yeah. And I think we just want to set our kids up for success too, right? So if the team mentality is something that the family's struggling with or the kids are struggling with, creating group contingency type scenarios that they can kind of easily succeed in, right? And so developing that momentum. So not, you know, creating an unattainable goal of the whole house has to be clean, but everybody's going to work on this room together. Yeah. Right. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's I you know I gave like two reasons why reward systems don't work. I would say the third is that it's not attainable. So you know you have a situation. Let's say like let's say your child gets up every night. You're having issues with your kids going to sleep at night, mm-hmm. and your child is getting up like ten times mm-hmm. a night. Okay, and then you tell your child that if they don't get up at all during the night for a whole week, then they earn X. Mm-hmm. That's not setting them up for success, uh-huh. right? And so we want it's really really important, especially at the the very beginning of any sort of let's say reward system or motivation system that you're using to set a like a goal that is easily attained so they can come in contact with that reward otherwise you'll lose their buy-in and then you know once once you've lost a child's buy-in from a certain system or whatever you're trying to do it's hard to earn it back and so again those easy wins that's what you want to do and Instead of, I, I always say, like, stay away from, like, the Disneyland prizes. Of course, Disneyland yeah. is closed right now. Right. But, um, you know, I've seen it. Like, I've worked with families um, here in Southern California, um, you know, uh, so my background um, before I was a professor, I was working with kids with like aut- autism and other developmental disabilities. And they really wanted like one family I'm thinking of, they, you know, they really wanted to potty train their child. And um, they were like, okay, as soon as you're potty trained, we'll take you to Disneyland, you know? Mm-hmm. But what I always say is like small, like you'd be better off with small little motivators that you can give on a consistent basis. Also, you're going to go broke because if you start a motivation system with something that's super u- uber expensive, good luck. Like they're going to be like, well, wait, I worked for Disneyland and now you want me to work for you an M&M? know yeah 
<laughs> yeah, dumb. Like, good luck with that, right? So, you know, we're always do things that you would give your kids anyways that you just like, you know, earn your favorite show, earn yeah. this treat, earn a special trip with mom, yes. earn whatever. Like, just small things are better that you can give more frequently. Absolutely. And usually our kids are not expecting Disneyland. Like, we think, like, the bigger the better, but they might be satisfied with an hour date with mom in a parking lot, just chatting in the back of the car, playing a card game and getting a Slurpee. Like it, we, we overestimate how big and grand the motivation needs to be because oftentimes they just want us. Yeah. I think that that's totally true. And sometimes, um, you know, for whatever reason, that's those, the time, our time can be our most, coveted resource and you know we we get pulled in so many directions but the reality is why do we do everything we do it's for our family right and so it's like recognizing that you know we can use things like a reward system you know to do more of what we you know want to be doing with our kids and spending more time with them anyways and that's going to be really rewarding to everybody right yeah absolutely Okay, well, Heather, you become my new best friend. I'm really glad we live close to each other because I could talk to you forever and ever. And, you know, we're we're so like-minded in so many ways, and yet there's so much that I've learned from this conversation. Like, these are things that I know, but there's just always new ways we can think about things and kind of reframe our thinking or new ideas we can try. And so I just really want to encourage listeners to – to whether it's listening to podcasts or reading books or just talking with your friends, like solicit what they're doing and 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 listen. And because there might be a little tidbit that you can learn from each other that can just tweak things just enough to to make things a little better in your home and um, you know kind of give new life to things. And and you don't. Yeah, need to I think it's that mindset up. piece, yes, right? Um, is like you know making the decision to make the change. So yeah, know that if they want to learn more about motivation systems, your listeners can go to Prism P R I S M, not Prison <laughs> Prism P R I S M Behavior dot com forward slash free guide, and then I have an ebook too. So the ebook is. Um, from defiant to compliant parenting strategies that just work. So they can go to prismbehavior.com forward slash ebook to purchase the book, but they could also cool. get the guide for free. So yeah, amazing. And I'm going to link all this at extraordinarymomspodcast.com awesome. as well. Um, so definitely check out prismbehavior.com. And then obviously your podcast is so full of information as well. And that could just be a free resource to you. Prismbehavior.com slash podcast, or I assume anywhere you listen to podcasts as well. Yeah. So it's Prism Parenting Podcast and then prismbehavior.com. Uh-huh. Okay, perfect. Well, Heather, this has just been so amazing. I could ask you a thousand more questions, but I'll just wrap up with my favorite final question that I ask all my guests. And it is this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? I think that, you know, as parents, um, you know, we assume that we are going to be a certain way and we're going to have everything all together. Um, But I think we need to just realize that we have to give ourselves grace and, um, you know, that today is a new day. And so just, you know, kind of moving forward, I make mistakes all the time and it's easy to feel that mom guilt, but I think that today is a new day. So even if I yelled at my kids yesterday, today I can do it differently. Yeah. Even if you yelled at your kids an hour ago, you can do it differently in the next hour, can't (laughs) you? 
we don't even yes. need to wait a day. Yes, because guess what? They're always around They're, right now. They never leave. They never leave. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Even risking my life going to the grocery store right now with my mask on feels still like a vacation. So... <laughs> Totally. Heather, this has been so good. Thank you for sharing and for all of your amazing research and practices and everything and support you're giving parents. This is just so cool. I love it. This is great. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I, I loved being on your show. Thanks. I hope you got so much out of that conversation. I certainly did. And Heather and I are already looking forward to a play date once quarantine ends. But I wanted to thank her for coming on the show. And definitely check out prismbehavior.com. And like she said, there's a free guide there. So this is linked over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com as well as an ebook you can purchase. Both are great values and great information if you just want to find out more. Highly, highly recommend. Everything's linked on the website, like I said. And if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. And we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.